gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, today we talk about events. Yep. And what are we going to talk about? Events. Okay. <laughs> but mostly the notion of planning and executing on them. And I'll put on the front end, this is the last show from the studio. Yeah, this studio. Yeah, so... I'm sure you'll have to rename it and do all the intro, but... No, no, just clarification. It is not the last show. It's the last show from this location. I was thinking about taking a really long pause, but then I know that you can just edit me out. Oh, God, yes. So, So, yeah, we're moving up a little bit north. I think we mentioned last episode. So this is our last one from the Riverwalk, right on the Milwaukee River here. And uh, after this, it'll be in... So thank you, listeners, for joining us for 92 of these from, from here. I guess you don't have to listen to this one so thank you for listening to as many as you have to this point (laughs) yes that is the truth and the event thing kind of segueing back to that is we're not going to talk so much about what makes a good event because a lot of that is subjective you know the person who attends or the to says yeah i had a good event or the person attends but it's very personal that is we're Mm -hmm. just going to talk in general about like you said, how you plan, how you run through it. And Do the logistics and how you go about attaining a lot of this stuff and getting the experience to put on an event that folks are open to calling you know, good and, mm-hmm. and fun and you know, would attend again. We're going to talk about that and, of course, other things in Whispers and Scriptorium and all those good things. So we are going to get started and head on over to Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, it is, as always, hobby time. Mm-hmm. And what you been up to, boss? Finish my grave guard. Beautiful. For, for Adepticon. I've got Manfred built. I started painting him this morning. I can verify that, by the way, listeners, because I saw him building Manfred. So yes. I know he was working on it. So despite my consistent humors of calling him Fettuccine Manfredo. (laughs) I now have two Manfreds, and I'm really not sure how to reconcile that with my soul. (laughs) Can only take one. Yeah, can only take one, but, you know, this one is going to be painted more kind of towards the box art, you know, so that darker, grittier Mm. look to match the darker, grittier skeletons and graveguard that I've painted to this point. Are you going to get some of that, like, Magma Droth orangey color in there? Yeah, that looked cool. I always love that. So... I have coincidentally developed a good inside burning paint scheme for a different project from many moons ago. Great. And I plan on using that here. So Wonderful. We'll do that. And then it's banners, basing, and off to Adepticon. Perfect. So it's been quite the eight-ish, well, by the end of an eight-ish week journey. Yeah, but you've been keeping up on your expectations. Yeah, I probably could finish earlier than I eventually will. Just because a lot of my weeknights, I've not been doing much hobby, if at all. It's usually just come home, decompress, play some video games, and go, you know what, let's just go to bed here. Let's go to the sleep chamber, yeah. Yeah, 
Need cool. to keep going. But great, Dan. Have you done any hobby in the midst of this? Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's kind of funny because so we're surrounded by boxes, listeners. <laughs> so if it sounds better, it's because there's more boxes to, around. Yeah, kind of filter. It doesn't bounce. You don't get as much reverb off the walls. Now this is a condo. Just so people know, it's not a huge house it's with a, a mansion. Basement and don't listen to Dan. You know, this is <laughs> so the boxes are the much mind. more concentrated in terms of space. But I actually finished both projects I was hoping for. I finished my Adepticon Freeband for Freeblades, which was great. But And then, in one morning, I got my entire Warband for Witchborn done. I used my Army Painter Speed Paints for the first time. They worked pretty well. They turned out okay. I'm sure there's more I'm going to want to do with them. But those eight figs got done so I'm done with everything I need to have for Adepticon because I'm done with all my nice. uh, Gibbering Dome stuff. So that's all great. And the thing is, though, to your point earlier about all the boxes, I needed to kind of have a cutoff time for boxing all my paints and hobby stuff and everything, tools, all that stuff. And so I just said it for when I finish that second project and everything's boxed up now. So I won't be doing really any hobbying for the next week and a half, two weeks, probably. Yeah, I got that all done, which was great because... There's no place, there's no tools left out to do anything with. Sure. So getting ready and looking forward still to that new hobby space and getting stuff up on the walls and paint racks and all those kind of fun things. And we'll certainly report out on that. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. And we had kind of an interesting hobby night this past week. We were going to play a game, but we just decided we're going to sit and chat. And you were building Manfred and I was painting some of my other stuff and we talked about Nagash so I think my next project as I come out the other side of this we'll be starting to put him together and trying to come up with a paint scheme and little conversions and things for him to give him a role with a Nighthorn army so a Nightgash army yep or a Nagash haunt I don't know we'll call it one or the other I'm not sure what is there a term that people are using or is that not just night haunt i think okay the gash haunt okay so that's it for us in hobby pre-orders for the week obviously Ideneth and fire slayers came out yesterday yep um, with all the bells and whistles dice and, you, and cards you especially me you were you know if what we need to buy i said you know pick up the night haunt cards and you went no <laughs> <laughs> i had totally skipped over this release and was already looking at the next one yeah you said that i was like does he know something i don't i'm really excited about that the good news is, Brendan, we have two battle tomes. Yep. Both at the same time. We get the luxury of choice in terms of covering these, which is wonderful. That's mm-hmm. good news. All right. On to 40K stuff. There is Eldari Ooh. stuff oh, all sorry. over the place. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's just everywhere. It, whatever you want, books, it's just saturating the 40K universe. So the Eldar are here in big time. Also, Curse City is back. Mm-hmm. interestingly enough cool that's great yeah so if you missed around first time around have you heard some or you're interested and you didn't get to pick it up the first time around whatever the issue was it's been resolved yes and it's yours for the purchase right i think that's it for major stuff i think i looking i didn't see any i other, don't see any night haunt books here no so the- I, we don't care <laughs> all right games played I mean, I've, it's kind of limited to my computer because I can't, as I said last time, do any of my solo games, like mm-hmm. my B-17 or anything, because everything's backed up. Rising Tide for Civ, and then continuing Dawn of War a little bit for me. Cool. That's what I've been doing on the computer when I haven't been packing and other stuff. How about you, boss? Yeah, so basically cleaned up all the side quests in Wasteland 3. 
And now we're going to jump into the second bit of the DLC under Cheyenne Mountain, which is mm. the Cult of the Holy Detonation, I think is what it's called. <laughs> okay. So obviously, you know, <laughs> nuclear radiation, yeah, Cheyenne yeah. Mountain, yeah. all that stuff. Cool. We'll probably jump into that one the next time. See what that is. That was good. Played a little bit of Skyrim. You know, the mm. super legendary special edition on <laughs> on the Xbox Series X. Not really any different. I'd forgotten how tedious and grindy the early levels of Skyrim really can yep. be. Yep. Because the way I like to play Skyrim is just roam around the map and mm. just like enter caves and stuff like that. Sure. And sometimes I just walk up to something and I go, and I've played it, you know, long enough over these last 10 years where I go, I can't deal with that right now. And I just nope my way up back out of the cave. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, you know, it is really cool when you do come across something where you're like, oh, you know, that is new. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a new piece of armor. It's a new quest. It's a new companion, you know. Sure. That stuff is super cool. Like, even if it is just a place on the map that has been well-traveled by you in the past, that stuff is cool. It's still Skyrim. You know, it's still effectively the same game. I'm a sucker for having bought it three times. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> No Sigmar, I think, for either one of us. no. No. no, I've had two games set up and both people canceled on me, Dan. Yeah, uh, well, at least we got a hobby night and we got something in. Yeah. And we're going to be playing, no doubt, after Adepticon. We've kind of committed to that, to run some practice with each other for a couple of lists. That, that yeah, because I have some real nonsense I'm looking to you try do. out. And, and it you, is, it's not good, I don't think. I get a detailed run through and it was pretty impressive. If mm. everything clicks, it'll be and you're, scary. If this Rube Goldberg device of different things that can happen together do happen... It will... Wow, this is really good. It will cut the piece of bread in half. (laughs) Yeah. If it doesn't, you just go, okay. (laughs) That was an interesting idea, Brendan. (laughs) I wish you well. (laughs) Okay. All right. Events. Man, just out of nowhere, we've got a full lineup. I mean, we had Adepticon anyway, Mm -hmm. a little less than three weeks from today. Man, it's hard to believe it's that close, dude. I'm terrified, yes. (laughs) I'm very aware. And then we've got all kinds of other stuff that's lined up. We have Spring Rubicon, which is a one-day event next month. It's only about a month away. Yeah, this is... the closest tournament I've ever attended. It's like eight it's minutes. So nice. I'm it's so great. excited. Yeah. I can't wait to go to a tournament that's a one day or that I don't have to wake up at five thirty in the morning <laughs> yeah. and get home at eleven PM. We can leave our houses like fifteen minutes before it starts and we'll have yeah. plenty of time. It is pretty cool. I'm super excited. Yes. So thank you guys for running this. It's the Dice Dice Cast, right? Mm-hmm. That group. So thank you all for putting this together and Sean is the one I've been dealing with and seems like a great guy. So I'm looking forward to meeting them. We have Vault Wars now, which is Tyler Emerson's inaugural event. And that's on May 14th and 15th, I think is the weekend. It's down way down in Missouri. Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. Missouri. (laughs) So it's going to be another Nashville drive for me. Yep. And you're going. Yeah. So it's going to be pretty long drive. It's going to be two days. I'm going to take two days to get down there because it's a good... 12 hours or so, probably. Yeah, with your electric vehicle. Yeah, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And just old guy driving more than seven or eight hours a day isn't, isn't a good thing. So anyway, that's exciting. And he's got some special stuff he hasn't even released yet, um, special features of this particular event. But I'm excited for him, and it was great to be able to sign up and support him and uh, looking forward to good times and seeing a lot of great people. Yep. And then we're both going to different events in July. Yes, same um, weekend, different July events. 16, 17, you've got ATC. Yep. Down in Chattanooga. And Meltdown has got signups that started yesterday, Midwest Meltdown. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go to that down in Bloomington. 
but man, boom, 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 boom. April, May, July, August, September, already lining stuff up way out, which is fabulous that we're back on track with events and getting out and meeting with people and seeing folks we know. And it's going to be really cool. Looking forward to all that Coolio stuff. Is there anything else that you know of for sure? Indie Storm, that's sold out. That is April 9th. Okay. Yeah, off the top of my head. Siege World and NashCon are the same weekends. I don't remember which, but August. Most likely the third weekend in August mm-hmm. because that's the same weekend as Irish Fest. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, also the same weekend as Irish Fest if you want to come to Milwaukee. Yes, of course. So, a lot of conflicting events there. Everybody <laughs> listening to the podcast has equal investments in all three of these. Yes, absolutely. So. And you're still working on a date for... Yep. 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 I would like somebody to respond to my emails. Brew that would City, be great. Yeah. That's cool. Usually September, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And well, you've got obligations too. So I have a few this year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. All right. So lots of stuff going on. That's cool that we have that part of the show filled up with goodies yeah, for so a change. So look forward to a couple of event reviews coming up in the relatively near-ish future. Yeah. Instead of yep. just a kind of our usual, we made an event and <laughs> we're going to tell you about it. Yeah. We'll really tell you about it now. So that's it for Whispers, and moving on to Emperor Lies. Man, what are we, a team? No, 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 we're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So back with Lies, and the first thing I wanted to do real it's quickly... It's a good thing that this is called Emperor Lies, Dan, because you... <laughs> lied. Lied on the show. <laughs> I need to make a rules correction for Nighthaunt, because We've we were talking... We've received 400 emails uh, about no. this mistake no, that we made. No, we didn't, actually. But <laughs> I sent Dan 400 emails. <laughs> actually, he sent me nothing. I had to tell him. Theater of the mind. Anyway, we were talking about Nagash a couple episodes ago when we were talking about, you know, Kragnos and those other... The new War Scrolls that had come out. Out because of the FAQ. Dan has been embroiled in a Warhammer <laughs> scandal of sorts. <laughs> You're so full of crap. Anyway, I had stated that with Raikonur's procession and Nagash, you could get 3d6 bodies back with the Guardian if he casts his spell. And it is only 2d6. However, saying that, if you take a beacon, you can get an extra three. If you take Nagash, you get an extra four. So it's not like you're not getting the equivalent probably of at least 3d6 on average, but you can't get more than 2d6 because Raikonur basically mirrors that old War Scroll Battalion that gave you that extra d6 for the Guardian. Yep. So I just wanted to clarify that, make sure everybody was like, Dan, you, you play Night Hunt. Yeah, I do. And, yeah. and we here at Cubic Shenanigans take our rules very seriously. Yes. Uh, we endeavor to do better in the future <laughs> oh, to ensure that everything is said absolutely yeah. correctly with, you think no, this with is bad. no error whatsoever. You think this is bad, listeners? I have to deal with this when we're not recording. So yep. Just so you know. <laughs> this is not a character. I am this person my entire life. Crazy. All right. So with that, we are going to move on and talk about event planning and execution. I guess, Brendan, I'd like to start with the whole issue of a theme and a purpose. Why are you doing this if you're going to organize something? Now, the other thing, listeners, is this isn't just for people who are thinking or at least dreaming about putting something together. Also, make you aware of things that maybe you want to look for and notice when you go to your next event to see if they have some of these components and parts and pieces. And then when you're asked, and most people ask about, you know, give us some feedback, this might give you a chance to include those kind of things. You know, first of all, what kind of event is it going to be? Is it going to be narrative? Like, is it going to be Path to Glory event? Uh, They have those. 
I think a lot more people play Path to Glory and Sigmar than play competitive Sigmar and go to tournaments. I think a lot more do. I have no idea. Yeah. I have yeah. no frame of reference. I just this. think of all the local hobby shops that I know that have ongoing Path to Glory kind of campaigns and things like that. And cumulatively, that's a lot of people. But it could be narrative. It could be competitive. As we've talked about, most of the events we go to are competitive. Uh, it could be kind of a cross between the two. I kind of think of like Holy Wars is kind of between the two. He's got a theme mm-hmm. and it's a little narrative in terms of the terrain and the other rules he has. It's not strictly competitive. There's some random things that happen that... I would largely call that an event, not a tournament. Yes. Okay. Like if I had to get down to the nitty gritty of defining what falls into which categories yeah holy wars is an event and then you know you're going to have unique pack rules and we'll talk about those but you know it's your event you decide why you're doing it what's the purpose of it and do it your way there's no strict guidelines of you have to do these things when you run a tournament you know obviously choices you make are going to affect attendance and repeat business and those kind of things It's your thing to design and your thing to run. Yeah. Like most things in life that you are going to endeavor into, the most important question that you have to answer is the question of why, Mm -hmm. right? To your point, Dan. Because this doesn't necessarily apply to just two-day events. Mm -hmm. This could just be running one-dayers, running protracted campaigns. Why are you organizing this? Is it because... You know, you want to just have 200 people in a room tell you how great you are? Uh, Is it because, you know, you feel that there is a way to play this game that a lot of people would like to play, but isn't necessarily being presented as an event or a competitive space or something like that? Is there, you know, the opportunity in like a narrative setting that there's a story that you want a bunch of people to be able to tell together? Mm -hmm. Things like that. That is the first and most important question, because if your why is, you know, you just want to run a big event and be important, like, okay, yeah, Yeah, right, you know, be honest with yourself in that and understand that there's not money in this. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Preface with your goal should realistically always be to break even. It is financially. Yeah. This is not a money making endeavor. And if the answer to your why question is. I would like a side hustle of running tournaments that make a lot of money as an independent organizer. Hey, buddy, it's not happening. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Then the next thing we talk about is soliciting support and getting attendance because, and obviously this is strongly related to your theme and why you're doing it, but you need to reach out to your community. You need to reach out to people you know and kind of run your idea past them and get a gut check on whether or not, and they're going to tell you, most of your real friends are going to say, well, that's just really stupid. Nobody's going to come to that. They may say that, Mm -hmm. or they may say, you know what? I've said that to people. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I've never heard of an event like that, but it sounds pretty cool. I think I'll go. But you need to do that early uh, before you get your dreams all set in place and everything written down and it's just the best thing in the world. And all of a sudden, people will just say, uh, no. (laughs) That's not going to work. In the early stages of planning, reach out to other people. And it's also going to affect your attendance, obviously. If a lot of people are interested, they're going to talk to other people and say, hey, did you hear about this event or whatever? But if they're not really into it or it doesn't sound like something that's interesting, you may not get a whole lot of turnout. And all of a sudden you're going to say, oh, today's the day for signups. Oh, I got 10 people in the last five hours. That might be an indicator. Just something to do early in the process. Right. So I think even before this, you need to have a pre existing relationship with the community Mm. writ large. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean on like a global perspective, because it's all well and good if, you know, your buddy from the other side of the world would say, oh, I'd be interested in going to that, but, you know, it's going to cost me 
seven days off of work and <laughs> a bazillion and, dollars yeah, yeah. and seven thousand dollars to, to get over there those aren't the people that are going to be attending your events the people that you need to make sure that you have an existing relationship with are the people that are in your local and then in kind of your regional so in the midwest you know we joke about 10 plus hours <laughs> right. being driving distance in some places in some other countries you know that's obviously you just large. driven through three countries <laughs> right so <laughs> You know, right. so keep in mind that some of the scope and scale of what we're going to be talking about is a little bit different, but you're typically not going to be able to fill a gaming hall with just whatever your local crew of people are. You know, that's mm-hmm. great for like a league night or, you know, a hobby night or, mm-hmm. you know, you and your friends wanted to kind of get a tournament in yourself and, and that kind of thing. But for the most part, you're going to be spending quite a bit of money for the venue. Not that you are necessarily stacking the deck. But you need to know that you have enough people that would want to come and support what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that means building relationships with tournament organizers, building relationships with other people who kind of run clubs in the area who like attending events or this is kind of in their realm of what's interesting. Mm-hmm. And something that I can use as the best example is you know, Vault Wars is I've been badgering Tyler for several years to run an event, run an event, run an event. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he told me that he was doing it, I said, you know, look, this year I've got a very limited amount of paid time off. I will make sure I go to yours and support your first year and do whatever it was that we can to have a successful first year. Sure. Because the first year is the hardest. Mm -hmm. That is your one that is most difficult to sell. And that Mm -hmm. is your most difficult one to plan for. And having a group of people that you can rely on to help make that first year very successful makes all of the years down the road even more successful, even easier to run. Part of that is, you know, that you'll have some of this other logistical stuff in your pocket, but the solicitation for that first year, you really need to make sure that you have, you know, built up a good relationship with the nearby community. Because if your event gets so good that it becomes a must attend from ways and ways and ways away, overseas, you know, cross borders, (laughs) that kind of stuff, like that takes care of itself. And it just becomes a matter of what day is this? And then you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. That first year though, I cannot stress the importance of having the relationship built preemptively. Sure. Is there a a minimum number? You know, would you say like 30 or 40 or does it depend on the venue or? It doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything such as a too small event. Mm -hmm. If the only space that you have is for six people to play at this tournament, Mm -hmm. that's still a tournament. It's still an event. I mean, we've been, I asked that and now I think about, you know, we've been to events with eight or 10 people. We've been to events with 25 people, things like that. Right. Yep. But you'll have to understand what your space is, what it's going to cost you, mm-hmm. and how you fit all of that in together, right? There's right. that planning element. The next thing that is timing. The main thing with timing, there's weather. I mean, that is an issue. It, Depending on it where is, it is. It has been a decision don't factor we know? in yeah. some of the events that I go to. Yeah. It could be, you know, you're not a hot weather person. You probably don't want to show up down southwest somewhere where it's 110 degrees out. In at, July. Yeah, in midnight, yeah. right? Or, you know, it's... When we go up north here, we had an event uh, that went on for several years, and it was like minus 10 or 20, right, when he got there. So weather is an issue. The other thing I think is more important, though, is event conflicts. Yeah. And, you know, you just talked about, Brendan, that weekend in August when you got three different events. All of them have really good interest, and it's yes, really everyone difficult. everyone is very interested in our podcast <laughs> In going to Irish Fest. Yes, right. I agree. I know two thirds of the people in this room are very 
endeavored on that, but this is small sample size. <laughs> yeah. So let's not do the projection on that okay, one necessarily. Fine. Um, there are two events <laughs> related to what we talk about here that are the same weekend that do draw on the same population grouping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you talked about in August, you know, NashCon, and then we have Siege World, yep. and then what was the, th- I thought there was a third one. Irish Festival. Yeah, oh, Irish, that was the third, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. but a lot of people, I would have liked to have gone to Siege World. First I still all, want to go to Siege World. It's a lot closer for me. It's not... It's only not like a, three hours closer. <laughs> it's a lot, that's a lot closer. I just would like to give it a try. I gave NashCon a try last year. It was great. Had a great time. Love the people that were there and who were running it. But I'd like to do something different. And then that, those are choices you have mm-hmm. to make. Rolling back around to what we're talking about, that means you have to decide as an event organizer if you're competing with something and if it's something that's really popular, you need to think about that. If especially, Brendan, to your point of the importance of that first year, if you're trying to compete with a NashCon, you might have some issues of getting enough yeah. people to your event. Why don't you think about a time like January, February? There's not a whole lot going on event-wise. That might be a really good time, depending on other things, mm-hmm. to set an event up and run it and make it some kind of a signature, quote, winter event. And I'll caveat the event conflicts, right? You have to be realistic with what it is and where it is. Mm -hmm. If you say, you know, living here in the States go, oh, well, I can't have it that weekend. That's the same weekend as Bloodshed in the Shires in the UK. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) You're You're not drawing on the same population group. Right. Right. If you start getting to the size of an event, you know, in the States in particular, where, you know, people are coming from ways and ways and ways away, and you're the same weekend as another event, you mm-hmm. know, somewhere else in the country that's drawing from ways and ways and ways away, that's something to start thinking about. But if you're looking to be more local and there's a big event on the East Coast, like a summer slaughter kind of a mm-hmm. thing, well, okay. You know, it's okay to have it the same weekend because there's going to be a good population group. There's a geographic issue. Yeah. Where it's regional versus mm. national. Exactly. Yeah. Like, there will be people in your region who go to Summer Slaughter because it's a known quantity, it's a known entity, and they want to go to that event. That's okay. Most people in your region aren't going to be doing that. Another thing to think about, because we're going to talk about financials in a second, though, is if you're even close, let's say you decided not to go on the same weekend as one of these other events, but you know that people are traveling a lot to get to this other event that's a week later or a week earlier. Just think about resources that people have. And as much as they might like to support you and come to your event, they might just be spent. Mm -hmm. They might just be done because they just, you know... (laughs) spent three nights for a hotel or whatever it was and spouse points spouse yeah you can't you gotta have those built up and use them so there was another thing when we talk about event conflicts and look at those gaps and there are plenty of them really in the calendar if you kind of pull it out uh, and depending again on the region yes there's a really good resource uh, that aos shorts on his website he keeps any event that anybody tells them about anywhere in the world. You mm-hmm. can filter for you know your country and then you know list it out that way. Yep. Understand the United States is a big place <laughs> and there's there's a lot of people in a lot of different places. If you're hosting an event that's sixty minutes away from another event, probably not the best weekend to put it. <laughs> right. Especially if it's an established yeah. event. You know, then don't necessarily feel bad for scheduling near or around somebody's look. People are going to pick and choose what they want to go to for a number of different reasons. If you didn't pick that spot, somebody else might have. It's not your fault if somebody picked the other one over you or they picked you over the other one. Right. It's not personal. It's not personal from your perspective. It's personal for their decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever worked for them. Right. How about financials? We got... 
you know, some obvious things like the venue. That's usually the major cost in a lot of these. Yeah. So (laughs) this is where you really, really need to start putting pen to paper and understanding what it is you're getting into because Mm -hmm. those other two components drive what the income on the event is going to be to try and cover costs. Your expenses, you need to be very cognizant of, Mm -hmm. and you need to understand that when you're signing up for this stuff, you are signing, in many cases, unless you're running at your local gaming store and they're the ones that are covering terrain and you know they're the ones that have the venue and they're not charging you anything for it, then awesome, cool, fantastic. But they're also the ones that are taking the income of right. what people are paying into. For the most part, though, you as the individual are signing legal documents where you are financially beholden to pay that regardless of however many people show up. Right. They don't care that you planned for 50 and eight showed up. You still owe them. Right. If you are unable to accept the financial risk of what you're signing up for, Mm -hmm. my strongest recommendation in the same, in the same way that I would, you know, personally recommend to anybody is if it is too high of a cost, do not engage in that activity. Right. And I'm telling you on the front end, do not expect to make money on any of this. And in many cases, you are hoping to break even. Mm -hmm. If you can't handle coming up some dollars short at the end of it, then, you know, you can stop here. Tournament planning's not for you. I Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. Yeah. And this gets back, Brendan, to what you're saying of, you know, the size. You can, you can have an event, to your point, of any size. If you have 20 people, that gives you a lot more options for where you can have your event. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot more places that would take 20 people for a day or two days if you want it to be a two-day event. But if it's that small, probably not going to be two days, might So that's something else to think about, and that would affect your participant cost, which varies wildly, obviously, depending on the venue. To give an example, for those of you who are kind of familiar with the Bruce City Brawl format, the room that I rent at that hotel for the actual gaming activity is a dollar amount that if no one were to show up, I wouldn't be happy about it, but I could Mm -hmm. cover it. They have a much bigger room there that runs about (laughs) (laughs) $10,000. Yeah, could I fit a ton of players in there and that kind of thing? Yeah, sure. Do I think that, you know, I could lean all in and and get that pretty well filled? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Am I comfortable with the idea of coming up $10,000 short if, you know, Uh. no, no, I'm not. That's not a position I'm in financially is, you know, to be able to, to have something like that. But that's a decision that I make when I'm doing the planning. Right. So to have a rough estimate out on cost is a good way to start. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things I did when I started running tournaments was before I engaged in, in paperwork signing and stuff like that is I asked around with some TOs that I had known from events that I had gone to over the last you know year, year and a half or so. Sure. And asked the question of, you know, what are the things that I need to know and how much does that typically cost? Mm. Like I budget $70 for printing packs. Mm-hmm. and buying pens and, and things like that. Small things that you don't think about, right. right? You know, typically it's just, what's the venue cost? You know, how much can I spend every year in terrain and that kind of thing? And what are my awards going to cost? Mm-hmm. Well, you got to make sure that you have paper and pens and you got to have access to a computer. So if that's something that you're going to amortize, you know, over time, are you going to borrow it? You know, do you need a printer? What sort of visual display items are you using? Are you renting it from the hotel? But all of that, right, you have to backwards into is your participant cost. Mm -hmm. How many people do you need to cover X? How many people do you need to cover Y? And what does that cost? And it's why I do the refund component at the level that I do where, you know, you get 
half of it back at a certain point because mm-hmm. at that point I have purchased a certain number of things that if people were to back out after that, I can't, you know, you have to cover. The I can't recover that cost. Right. And as you get closer you know, to the event, it becomes a no refund situation because right. at that point I have planned for and invested in awards, ancillary supplies, the venue, terrain, mats, mm-hmm. charity items to the point where if everybody, you know, the day before the event backs out, like, no, right. there's different ways of handling refunds and stuff like that. But I think the sweet spot for participant cost right now is about $50 to $100. Right. And it all depends on what's offered. Sure. So as you get into that higher price point, the expectations kind of increase in what's being provided at the event in terms of experience and the event itself. Right. Right. You know, is there any food and drink included in that at that right. higher end? Yeah. You know, because I try and keep it at 50 to $60, but I have stripped down, you know, just Right. Absolutely everything. I don't want to be charging you guys extra for extra stuff. Right. Because you'll engage in whatever extra stuff that you want. And, you know, if you're a person who likes to drink in an event, you will pay the money to do that. If you're not, I don't want to charge you for something that you're not going to utilize. Right. Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The financials of this is a big, big deal. It's huge. Um, yeah. This is the riskiest component of running this because if something were to happen... You know, you can always sell mats. You can always sell terrain, right? right? You can't sell what you've signed up for. This is the paying for your dream kind Mm. of piece is what this is. And related to the cost is some logistics things that we want to talk about. First of all, obviously is lodging. And it's not always going to apply. Like it doesn't apply to us when we go to Rubicon because mm-hmm. we're, you know, 10 minutes away, whatever it is. Yeah. For your one day, this doesn't matter so much. No. But you if you you got a whole weekend planned, depending on who you have coming and you've reached out to your community and you know, there are people coming from St. Louis, there are people coming from Michigan or wherever they're coming from. You need to take that into account and find out what kind of lodging and what the costs are for your participants and make sure that's something that's affordable. You know, get that special group rate or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and make that more manageable, uh, manageable for them. Eats and drinks. You know, that's another thing. I've been to, you know, we had a 40K event where we had a fish fry Friday night. It was pretty fun, Mm -hmm. but there was a cost to that. Everybody paid it. You know, we agreed to do that. And then there was, you know, it's the same room that we, we did your Brew City in. We know there's a bar about 10 feet away from one of the right. doors into the room. So that's not really, as you said, if you want to drink, you drink a lot, whatever. There's eats available right there. You know, that's another thing that if you are the TO, you have to kind of manage the expectation in terms of bringing in food and drink because typically your venue, if they can provide that, are going to say, uh, no, thank you, because we'd rather sell the food and drink. Right. It's something you need to know ahead of time and communicate to your participants so that they know. And when they do that, you know, as the TO, you're going to have to go over and say, hey, you can't do that, man, because it's putting us at risk here. Mm-hmm. Having those things available, or if it's just a bunch of fast food places or whatever close by, that may determine where your venue is. It's going to be those other pieces. And transportation is another thing. Is there an airport? Because people are flying in, as you said, from a long way away. Is it right off of an interstate? Is it easy access? Is it not, you know, 30 miles off of the closest 
road with two lanes. You know, <laughs> you want to think about those things as well because your participants need to get to your event somehow. Well, and that's and, the one you probably have the least control over. Right. Right. You know, right. if you don't, if you live in a place that isn't near a major airport, right. You know, that isn't near like a major train system, mm-hmm. then. You know, it is what it is. Right. We're very lucky here in Milwaukee that there is an international airport. You know, there is a train system that runs up, you know, from Chicago, mm-hmm. one of the central hubs in the United States to for moving things. That's cool. That's awesome. That That's great. That's fantastic. But everybody... That, that's one of those things that are nice to have. It's way more important as an attendee to have somewhere that has, you know, enough lodging and that there is food nearby. Yep, absolutely. Um, because you know this was one of my things that at Dragonfall this last year that was really frustrating mm. was once round three ended on Saturday, it was basically impossible to find somewhere to sit down and eat. Yeah. You could eat at the resort, which was going to cost you know $4 zillion, <laughs> or you, know, you could venture out where and everywhere we went was either closed or it was an hour and a half wait time. Sure. The other component to that is that there's enough places for like a lunch because, you know, it's an Mm -hmm. hour break. Mm -hmm. And so you got to make sure that there's stuff that's quick and nearby. Or you have your friend that finished early, go pick up lunch for everybody. (laughs) And however far it is is however far it is. But the fact is it's available. Right. Yeah. And it's you can get it in a timely manner, especially on both days. Mm -hmm. If you it's a two day event because you're going to have lunch both days. Yeah. And there is a limited amount of time that you can. A budget for that mm-hmm. in terms of time management. It's the small things, right, that help make something mm-hmm. you know really good. If it's a one dayer, this component is quite a bit less important, right? People aren't probably staying in hotels for your one dayers. Typically, your one dayers are at local gaming stores that are in strip malls. There's usually some other restaurant built <laughs> into one of those strip malls. Like you're going to be okay. Sure, right, Brendan. The next thing, <laughs> it would seem pretty obvious, but you'd be surprised, I think, how people don't. Think about terrain, especially at a Sigmar tournament. It's so critical. And it can be a real chore to get the terrain you need to cover, you know, 10 tables or however many tables, 20 tables. It takes people a lot of time to build it up. You have to have, just like we talked about resources earlier, you know, reach out to the community and things like that. If you don't have enough terrain on your for your tables, that's a major issue. And you need to figure that out really early. Mm-hmm. My first year of Bruce City Brawl, basically all of the terrain and all of the mats were borrowed. Yeah. I will speak from personal experience that it's important to have good working relationships <laughs> with people in the community because it's, it's really expensive. Good 3D printing of terrain has helped drive that cost down. But when you think about, you know, you have to have, you know, mats typically to cover these. Expect to pay 50 to $75 a table in mats mm-hmm. and a couple hundred bucks per each table, mm-hmm. you know, your first year, and then you got to paint it, right? That's the other trick of it. Unfortunately, and, you know, that's where, again, these other resources you have are so important. I remember when you reached out to a bunch of us and we just came over to your house and just spent afternoons Everybody's job was to paint one specific color. <laughs> it was so helpful and it made it doable to have people who'd be willing to do that to get the terrain you needed. But yeah, it's a cost and you don't think about it too much. But how you work that out, you have to plan for it and the mats you have to plan for, all that stuff. Well, and it's not just the event that you have to plan for. Right. You also have to plan for how are you going to store this? <laughs> Some of you might have some significant others who are not thrilled about the idea of you saying, like, look, I got to keep six of these big black and yellow totes, the official totes of all tournaments everywhere. Oh, black and yellow totes (laughs) brought to you by wherever you buy black and yellow totes. (laughs) The, But seriously, like, 
like mm-hmm. those totes are the same totes that everybody buys, right? Because they're relatively cost effective at you know twenty five ish dollars per. Mm-hmm. They do a good job. Even my Corolla can fit like eight of them if I really came down to it. Right. Cool. Great. How do you transport it? You know, how do you keep it? Like, what does it all look like? Mm-hmm. It's expensive. Right. That is something that, from my perspective, I've tried to amortize over you know, the course of several events. So it's gotten to a point where I've been borrowing less and less stuff and it's become mm-hmm. more and more, you know, brucity brawls terrain. Sure. That we're using, which yep. I'm very grateful for. Absolutely. But that's a really difficult thing. And there's from my perspective, only two solutions, unless of course, you know, you're using the friendly local gaming store and mm-hmm. they're the ones that are providing all of this. And in which case, you know, a fair bit of this advice you can just flat out ignore. <laughs> of course. Uh, is borrow it or buy it. And you either have to have a good enough relationship with enough people, and chances are you want to compensate those people. Usually what mm-hmm. I do is I offer a free entry to the events for people who are you know, bringing good, sizable chunks of terrain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like somebody showed up with one tower and they said, I want in. <laughs> it's, hey, man, you brought you know eight mats and eight sets of tables like... I'm going to copy right. you. you know, you're providing a, a good and or service Absolutely. You know, for attending and that kind of thing. It's either expensive or relationship-based. Yep. You can pick whichever one's going to be easier for you. The next thing I didn't have it on the notes, but I did write it down, was points tracking, especially if it's a competitive event. Mm-hmm. There's many different levels of doing this, obviously spreadsheets, but they're also, uh, you're going to be using something for your Adepticon large tournament. Yeah, the bigger the event that you go, the more that you're going to want to lean into something that is an actual piece of software. Sure. At 50 people is where I feel... I kind of top out on comfortability level with the spreadsheets, but that's also because I don't have anything in the realm of a quote unquote normal spreadsheet that I use for (laughs) Bruce City Brawl because I'm tracking 900 things. Right, right. Very custom. Right. But in a kind of a common setting of what degree did you win or lose your game? You know, did you get your secondaries? Did you get your tertiaries? What are your sportsmanship questions being answered? Things it's like something that. to Easy. think about, though, especially, again, in a competitive environment, because people want to know that many, many people who will come to your event are going to come up to the table right away. How many points did I get? You know, mm-hmm. and then several minutes... tell them to walk away and yeah. leave me alone. <laughs> and several minutes later, they're going to want to know where they're ranked or who they're playing next and all those things. But again, that's something you need to think about. And if you're not comfortable doing that, then again, you reach out and find somebody who's willing to be someone who will run that for you, mm-hmm. you know, and make sure that that's something that's accurate. It's something that people can rely on. Because the bigger event that you run, the more of a team that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to talk about that because as you get into these bigger and bigger and bigger events, the less ability you have to have direct oversight. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to need somebody whose really only job is data entry. You're going to want to have people who are doing paint judging. You know, Adepticon's 220 players. You know how long it would take me alone to do paint judging for 220 (laughs) players? Like, we'd be there Sunday at like 8 p.m. and be like, all right, I think I know who the paint winner is. Um, (laughs) Please proceed with round two. It's, you have to have teams, you have to have people, right? This is the relationship part of it is, you Mm -hmm. know, and, but when you're asking people to do work, you know, you, typically want to compensate them for that. Mm-hmm. My Bruce City Brawl people to this point have all been volunteers, you know, because thankfully everybody understands that not only do I run it at loss, but the other half of it is charity component. That, yeah, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, that goes along with it. So most people just are happy to be at the events and 
yeah hang out with their friends and that kind of stuff but <laughs> you need people who are fluent in rules you need people who understand what different painting techniques are applied that you have mm-hmm. listed in your paint pack you need teams of generalists and specialists and I can't tell you what the right number is because it's dependent on what you see as being important. So for Bruce City Brawl at at 50 people, I like to have a staff of between four and six. Sure. Somebody who's the ringer, somebody who's helping me, and then kind of three that do paint judging or do roaming the hall or, you know, just miscellaneous tasks that that the weekend requires. Sure. Makes sense. All right. Now, this is something we would never had to talk about before, but we do mm-hmm. uh, because it's reality. It's it's the world as we live it right now is safety protocols. And we see those in all the events right now that we go to. They're changing as, you know, local leaders make decisions and all those kind of things. But the three main components of that are vac- proof of vaccine. And then you have a proof of a negative test, you know, for something, if you're going to go that route. And then you have masking and you need to take those things into account. And obviously you've had to do that. I think when we did No Depticon, you yep. had those things. You have to make really good communications with your local authorities, whether it be a city or a county, state rules. You have to keep those things in mind. And the other thing you have to do is you have to keep in mind your attendees and their comfort levels. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about all those things. We're not going to express opinions here because those are something that, you know, are very individual and you need to make those choices as an organizer. But, and as time changes, those requirements may change or you may make decisions of what people need to do. But it's just something we wanted to talk about briefly because you need to consider it in today's world. Yeah. And so typically the uh, venue is going to tell you what it's going to be. Right. Because they're the ones that are going to be more familiar with this kind of activity. Strong communication here is the most important thing and being yep. consistent. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, communication. So if there are any changes, people know about it right away. The next thing we have on our list is specific pack rules. And this is where you get back to your dream. You know, what is this thing that you've come up with that you're just all excited to run and to have people attend and enjoy? Okay. The first page of your pack needs to include a very specific set of information. Okay. And I'm talking like within the first couple of sentences. What is your event? You know, what's its name? Where is it? Mm -hmm. Street address, all that. When is it? Seriously. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is the thing that is most important. And, you know, the subject byline of, you know, what's the too long didn't read of it, right? You need, and, you know, ideally that includes like your basic level costs and that kind of stuff. Okay, sure. That first bit, I should not be digging through your pack to find out when it is, where it is, what it is and, and how costs. much it is, yep. right? If those four things, and it's really three, you could name it whatever you want. It really doesn't matter to me. If those things I can't find identifiably or easily, that's part of the issue of why people aren't signing up. Right. But it's about communication. Your, the pack is the mutual document that everybody is going to agree to in terms of attending the event and what to expect. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility as the organizer to do everything in your power to make whatever you promise in that pack come true. And that premier information you just talked about needs to be first. It may very well be a decision-making part of the person coming to your event. Yeah. They'll look at those things and they can filter right away whether they want to be there. That answers the three most important questions of, is it a time period that I can meet? You know, Mm because if you look at it and you go, I'm doing something that weekend, cool, you're done. Right. Is it in a location that you can get to? Right. If it's not- In a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Whatever that is to you, Cool, you're done. And is this in the price range of what I want to pay for this? Sure. Because, you know, if we have something that's, you know, on a weekend that I'm free in my backyard and it costs me $1,200, 
I might read the rest of this pack to see what I'm getting out of it. But the answer is probably no. That's right. not something that <laughs> sure. I'm going to engage in, right? Because if it's a big, luxurious weekend of everything, all you can eat and your hotel is already included in that, then okay, well, maybe. Yeah. But... Those things answer the most important questions. And so on, that's what you need to start with is yes. those things. Okay. Yep. Starting with those as our, our kickoff for the pack, we got army size and sizes. You know, there may be multiple sizes of armies. It may be an escalation kind of an event. That would be where you have, you know, you start it with 500, go to with that, whatever it is. Yeah. Or you may have to your event, Bruce City, it's a 3,000 point event. People need to know that right away so that they can target their hobbying because <laughs> they may only have a thousand points of something or they may not have anything. And they look at that and say, 3, 000, I can't get 3,000 points done in six weeks or eight weeks, whatever. Yeah, it is. however long it's going to be. Yeah, I can't do that. So they need to know what their hobby target is. You need to think about awards. And this is huge because it, in many ways, it defines your event. Certainly for Bruce City, I know it defines your event because they're very unique awards. But people want to know, even if they're not going to compete for, you know, best of whatever it is maybe they're going to compete for soft awards whatever people still like to know it's a competitive event Mm -hmm. so what are you being judged on what are you striving for you know can i go for this type of a thing but you need to have that out there right away too when it comes to goals for attending the event special table and terrain rules you know holy wars is a perfect example of this that many people and you've said it before you know the tables are what really you're playing against not the other players and that makes that event so cool and so unique one of the reasons people love attending it but if you want to do something like that if it's a more narrative type of event then you need to come up with those things and be very very specific in the packs the people know what they're getting into what their expectations should be if there's any special rules for the event there may be some other things like you can use this extra thing or you need to bring an extra model of this type or whatever it is to use throughout the event Uh, there may be some special rules with dice you know if you buy dice for us you can once again you get re-rolls you get a re-roll or something yeah or you can buy re-rolls if it's a charity event those kind of things so all that stuff and there's other things brendan you're probably gonna yeah have in that pack things that are really important is that the pack needs to do is define expectations accurately typically after you have you know from my perspective defined where it is when it is how much it costs you know what it is in terms of you know how many points or Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing you know, the expectation, you know, one of the things that I list out next is the expectation of, you know, fully painted, mm-hmm. right? Painting, right? That's yep. another one, yep. Is your painting expectation? Is a sportsmanship expectation? Is what do you need to bring? Followed shortly by what the schedule is. Typically, I also include Friday because typically the hall gets opened up for us and, and we get to do setup and that kind of thing. But specifically, what time does every round start? When are my breaks? How long are those breaks? Mm-hmm. The, you know, when, when are awards? Break down all of that. Have your painting rubric in there so that people understand what everything is and is worth. So it's not a surprise when it comes day of what it is that you need to bring. When lists are due, if at all, what the rules cutoff is, Mm. you know, when and if, you know, your refunds change. All that stuff is really important when you're listing out how much games are scored. Like that's what you need to communicate. You need to communicate how ties are broken, how standings work. It needs to be a document where you do a good and thorough job of conveying expectations. Because if somebody says that, oh, I didn't know, I didn't understand, then I go, well, then you didn't read the pack. Mm -hmm. Because 
if you come to me with a concern that isn't listed in my pack, well then okay, right? Let's have the discussion around it. But if you're upset about something that was available and released that you signed up for, sorry, Charlie, like I got pretty limited sympathy you know, for this activity. I'm sorry you didn't like the way that it shook out, but you're the one that signed up with the pack that was available. Uh-huh. And I always try and make sure that I have the pack as locked in as possible prior to any penalties for dropping. Sure. You know, so that folks have the full opportunity to acknowledge and understand what it is that they're signing up for. And for all of this, Brendan, if you're relatively new listeners to doing something like this or you, you're thinking about it, this is, again, where you have to do kind of a sanity check. You know, you come up with your pack, you put the things in, Brendan and I have just talked about, but then have somebody like a Brendan look it over, somebody who's run an event, somebody who's actually written a pack that is for a pretty well-known event, make sure you've checked off all those blocks. Mm -hmm. But have somebody else look at it so you can get an objective opinion of what's in there and what still needs to be there, what might be missing. And so this is one of the things that I'm really excited about with Games Workshop partnership with ITC is the tournament organizer group, Mm -hmm. as it were, because having access to those kinds of people is going to be interesting and exciting and important to to help Mm -hmm. convey this kind of information appropriately. The things that work for and don't work for people. This is especially the place where if you want to list something out that works differently than how a core rule works Hmm. or a war scroll works or what the points on something is, you need to place it here and you need to be explicit about it. So like Spring Rubicon that we're going to, Dan, they have a rule that if you are tabled, the game ends and that person who did the tabling (laughs) wins. Right. That is an important thing to know because in the core rules of the game, if you are tabled, The game does not end. Mm -hmm. The person who is not tabled keeps playing. And, you know, you could still, having been tabled, win that game. So that is pretty important to know when you're going into it. Are kill points going to be something that's important? They're not as important to the game now as what they used to be, right? They used to be a tiebreaker component in many cases. But I always keep kill points in my list because there's an award for, you know, most, you know, points removed. You know, is that a thing? Are you, you know, we're going to Vault Wars and... You don't pick a grand strategy. You know, you're going to pick a grand strategy every game. Yeah, it's huge. So you need to build a list that can hopefully achieve five grand strategies that are all different from each other. Mm -hmm. But you can't use any from White Dwarf or your books. It has to all be out of the handbook. Mm -hmm. That's important to know, right? Being explicit with those kinds of things are important. NashCon is a two-list format. It can be as similar or as different as you like, but you have to play both. Vault Wars is a two-list format, but there's restrictions around it. You don't have to play both, but how much that has to be the same between your two lists is a fixed quantity. And it's very specific. Exactly. Yep. You have to, have to, have to, have to, have to communicate anything at all that is going to be different. If you are going to rule on something in a specific way, make sure that it is included in your pack that way. Perhaps that someone has made a believable threat that they will be bringing real turtles as stand-ins for their leviathans, (laughs) and you are obligated to keep it in your pack because people think it's funny, even though you don't want real turtles on tables. But not like that. Like, you know, there was a period of time where if a hero had an artifact of power, you know, they counted as something else in one of the missions. But Games Workshop ruled in their FAQs that named characters didn't have artifacts of power. And I, as a TO, said, that's ridiculous. No. But I made sure in the pack that I was explicit about how my rules and that event were going to be different than if you were to just play with your buddy in the basement or just go to generic Warhammer event where rules are straight up. Right. Expectations, communication, all of that is so incredibly important to 
a lot of things in life, but specifically, you know, tournament organizing as well. Thank you for that. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was a charity component. Mm -hmm. We've been very fortunate to be to events where the charity component has been very successful. People have been incredibly generous. And just our opinion, I know, Brendan, you and I agree on this, is if there is a way to include a charity component, try to do it. Whether it's through a raffle, whatever else. Do you have to do that? No, you don't have to do that. Of course not. But we would encourage you to do that. You know, obviously, you're going to make that choice. You may have something specifically that you would like, you know, those funds directed to, whatever it is. But just something to consider. Mm-hmm. Again, not a requirement. But we've really enjoyed ones where we've gone and there's been that part. Uh, the raffle's always fun at yours. <laughs> we always get a kick out of how many tickets one person buys or another. Or and They do or, a lot of winning that year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then they get a bunch of stuff. And just that whole process of calling out the numbers and stuff can be pretty entertaining as a finish up to the weekend. So Yeah, with that, I will say disclose what charity it is that you're going to be giving mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, so that people have a, a fair shake at understanding what the money is that it's going towards. Yes. You know, because there are different charities that people are going to support in different ways, shapes, and forms. Mm -hmm. Pick something that's important to you, but also tell people what it is. Try to not pick something super controversial. Yes, please. Uh, (laughs) Yes, please. If you ever have questions, you know, there are resources available on the internet that that do grade out different charities and their goodliness, right? You know, how effective they are as a charitable component. How How much much of the money you give is actually going to the charity, those kind of things. Right. And that's really, really important. So, all right. Is there anything else, Brendan, uh, before we sign off on this one? The best piece of advice I can give is it comes down to the day of, you know, when you're running things. Something's not going to go right. That's okay. It's what you do about it. That makes the difference. Right. Um, you know, there could be folks that don't arrive on time. There could be people that get into it with each other, have a sizable disagreement. I've been pretty lucky in that there haven't been, you know, real big to do's at most of the events that I run, but understand that something's going to go wrong. It's okay. Don't let that single thing define your event. Right. And it's what you do after that is important and meaningful. I know it's stressful. I know the day of is a lot of chaos. Try and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Again, if you've got a team that works with you or people you know there, always rely on them for as a resource mm-hmm. and to help you out and, and make things go the way you're hoping it'll go for your attendees. Yeah. If you're not a confrontational kind of person, you probably want somebody on your team who is more than happy to get into a rules argument with somebody. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. That's it then, I think, for events and tournament planning and execution. I hope that was helpful yes. for somebody. Yeah, someone, at yeah. least one listener, yeah. I hope one of you learned something here. <laughs> All right. So with that, we're going to head over to Books and Stuff and go to Scriptorium. Etc., etc., etc. All right, new releases. We have two things. First is a book about the man himself, Gazgul Thraka. Big book. His face is on it. His face is the cover of the book. And it's both audio and ebook, so there's no hardcover yet. But that certainly looks to be interesting, especially if you are an orc player in the 40k universe. Looks like a great read. And then the sequel to Serpent and the Saint, which I just finished by Matt Fair, has come out on audio, which is great. The Magister and the Martyr. So my other listen that I'm doing is going to once again be interrupted. And I'm going to uh, listen to that, I think, pretty soon once I start up on my hobby again. So those are the two uh, major new releases. Brendan, what about you for all the stuff? I have been listening to 
book number two of the Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, so okay. Clash of Kings. Yes. It's a 34-hour audiobook. Ooh. I got like 10 to go. Holy moly. So as I've been painting, that's largely what I've been listening to. And part of it is, is I am well-watched of the Game of Thrones television series. Sure. Probably a little too well-watched. So like I have a good understanding of, of what was conveyed in the show. And the first book and the first season are, are pretty closely overlaid. So the second book, there's more divergencies where they've combined different events together to something similar to get the point across of what it is that needs to be conveyed to you know the reader versus the watcher. And obviously time. It's a 34-hour book and seasons are 10 hours long. Right. But right. How are you doing? Right. So all of those components, the storylines that are ignored, characters that aren't included or combined, things that just go differently. So I've been really enjoying those kind of landmarks of, nice. you know, hey, this is what it is. I watched that Boeing documentary. Was it what you had hoped it would be? Yeah, it was. As a quality professional, there was definitely some things that were really disappointing oh. to watch. There wasn't anything in there that was like super duper new. Like if this was mm. something that you had kind of kept tabs on. It's stuff that you were aware of. But there's the added human elements of, you know, they brought in families of people that, you know, were lost in these horrible events. And they did a really good job of conveying how terrifying, like, what the failure mode was, as well as people who had worked for the company and were willing to say, like, what the culture was versus how it is that they got to where it is that they had. And then they also had folks who were trying to explain from an economics perspective on what drove this activity. Mm-hmm. That was neat. It was like two-ish hours long or something like that, okay. hour and a half. It went quick, but yeah, there was some yeah, there was some tough stuff to it where, yeah, yeah no thanks. I'm good. Okay. What about you, though? I'm still reading the hard copy Castaway Resolution, and it continues to be good. They've kind of shifted the story now from that first part where there was that you know, a lot of physics and stuff to the actual people who, when the ship kind of self-destructed, they actually got away and they were survivors. And so it's focusing on this group of people that crash landed on this one planet Mm -hmm. and their struggle for survival and so forth and in the future world. So they have some technology and things that we wouldn't have now, but it's still, there are a lot of things that we wouldn't face here on Earth (laughs) because these may be Earth-like, but they just have a totally different biome. Than, than we would have. So very good. I finished uh, audiobooks. I finished The Emperor's Finest, which was that Kane prequel. And I'll tell you, orcs and gene stealers just make a perfect combination for bad guys. Yeah. It was just great. You had orcs, you had gene stealers, and you had orcs who had been infested by the gene stealers, infected. Yikes. And so you had all this stuff that he and Jurgen, basically his you know aide, were dealing with on their own for about a third of the story. It was great. Just classic Kane. So Gothgol Hollow, I've been listening to, the one in Shaiish. It's really interesting, this reader. I've never listened to her before. And the one thing that gets, I have to stop after a while, is because everything is dramatic to her when she's reading. Like, she'll be talking about how, you know, the blood was dripping down his face as the claws just ripped into his arm and tore his rifle away. And you expect drama. You expect Mm -hmm. that kind of inflection in the voice. But then she'll go back to, they're walking into a room in a castle. They walked into the room in the castle and there were books on the shelves and there was a candle burning on the desk. You're going, what? Like, why are you excited about that? It's just really different tone that she sets as she reads. 
which is fine because I love the story. It's it's just fascinating. I've listened to like half of it now and she, you still don't know what this creature is. We think we know, but we don't really know yet. It's been really cool. Then obviously I'm going to start Magister and Martyr and finish that one up, the Iron Snakes book. We did finish Reacher on Amazon Prime. Just great. We're both big Jack Reacher fans. This was the first book literally that the author wrote that they covered and then season two will be his second book. So they're going to try to stay as close to the original materials as possible but it was just great in the last episode it just really good acting really good writing just what you would expect especially if you're a reacher fan already Mm -hmm. really good and other than that we've just been watching basketball as we pack because you know we don't have the time a lot of times to just stop and watch tv basketball you can kind of listen to while you're doing other stuff and we've been doing that this is the last time i will say this but i still have not watched dune See, the more that you say that you haven't watched it, the more that I think that you absolutely have been watching Dune in secret. And I'm getting a, a positive result here over Cindy's verifying I have not watched it. So mm. I will let you know when I do watch it rather okay. than saying when I don't. But I did start watching on my exercise video, started watching a, a little older movie called Sicario. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about the drug war and the drug cartel war against them in Mexico. And it's gritty and it's tough to watch. It's violent, but I think it's really good from the fact that I think it gives you, it probably isn't even as realistic as it could be, but it is just so gritty. And you're going, no, that cannot be, oh yeah, this is what really goes on. Because they had interviews with the stars of this, there's three or four really famous people. And the same guy that directed Dune, by the way, the new Dune was the one who directed Sicario. Yeah, it's something that if you're interested in that kind of a thing, you might want to give it a watch. Very, very interesting and very well done. And that's it for me, other than waiting now (laughs) for the day. Uh, Let us move on to five question time in this or that. Brendan Mann? Yeah. I think I'll start. I think you've been going first a fair bit here. Okay, fair enough. Running through, you know, really the way the show works. Vault Wars has an interesting award for underdog, which is the highest place finisher of a list from a series of armies that have been pre-selected as underdog armies. Sure. Would you rather try and run the best list of a bad army or do well with an objectively bad list from a good army or a good book? I'd rather go with a good list from a bad army. Okay. So... Given the list, Night Haunt minus Nagash is still on the list. I would rather play what I would consider a competitive Night Haunt list, probably including Drog, by the way, mm-hmm. than I would the other way. I love my Night Haunt, so why not if they're included? You know, we've also talked about me taking a Nagash Haunt list. I'm not going to play in this, you know, to win that. I, there are people, <clears throat> people I know that are really designing an army to be competitive for this award and. That's great. I think it's awesome that it's even there. But I'm not going to design or play a list for that. I'm just going to play something that I probably something I know and something I'd be relatively comfortable with. Yeah, I think that's what I'd rather do. Okay. Would you rather run an event, volunteer for an event, or play in an event? Obviously, founder of DanCon, the fame tournament. That's, yeah, of course. That never, doesn't exist. Yeah. I think I'd rather play. Okay. Just the interaction with people. And it's not that you as a TO don't interact with other people. It's very different. It's a very different kind of interaction. And I just enjoy so much going to events 
the interaction with folks and whether it's at the table or just between games, whatever. I would probably enjoy volunteering once just to, I mean, I'm going to help out at your event at Adepticon and I'm looking yeah, forward to that. Event. Yeah, well, the Adepticon event that you're running. I think that'll be a great experience to see what I do because I only have a very limited set of skills. You know, I'm not a rules lawyer. I don't have other You're things. the reverse of a Liam Neeson. Yeah, I am a minion, a, a true minion. I, I'm a man with a very limited set of skills. Those skills I have honed when over... When it comes to Sigmar, yes, that is true. Over um, a shockingly short period of time, uh, I will find you and I will... Ask somebody who knows a little bit more than me. <laughs> so that would be my second choice. Running one, yeah, it's some wild dream mm-hmm. to have that kind of a thing would be my third choice, I think. Okay. Yep. Prefacing into two of our next three shows. Okay. Obviously, we have Fire Slayers and Deepkin coming up. And each of them has a set of mechanics that really dictates how the army works. You have the runes for the Fire Slayers. Mm-hmm. And the tides for the deepkin. Now, Dan, you have not watched Manreed's book or any of that. No, no. So I promise readers he has no real no. preview information on this. Dan, which of those sets of battle traits are you effectively more interested in looking at? So I do have kind of a prejudice against or for both lists, it turns mm-hmm. out, because I've expressed many times my frustration with just seeing eels on the table. With all due respect... Oh, Dan, my- I'm going to poison the jury pool here. Okay. I would say you don't have to worry about eels as much anymore. Okay, so given that, I mean, not knowing other things, as you said, you you prefaced that. But I'm talking about specifically the runes or the tides. Okay, I have played once. I played Fire Slayers. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I think that I liked the rune mechanic. I liked that focus on the leadership more than I did other th- I love the magma droth. I love the mechanic of that. I love the mechanic of having that leader just really buff up that one unit, you know, and how important that leadership was and having them in the right place. I can certainly identify that, you know, with my night haunt, but I really liked playing Fire Slayers just that one time. So I think I would tend to say I would go with Fire Slayers at this point. Okay, so you're more interested in the ruins. In the ruins than I am with yeah. the tides. Yep. All right. It's March. Which means that March Madness is right around the corner. Mm. The regular season for the Big Ten finished up on Saturday. Yes. I know who you are always rooting for in the winning of the national championship, but who Mm. do you think is going to win the national championship? I recognize and acknowledge that those two things can be different. I am rooting. Very different. I am rooting for Purdue to win March Madness, but I do not think remotely that I think that that is going to happen. I don't know. Gonzaga's always been a favorite. I've always enjoyed them. I just think they've been consistent recently enough to do that. So that would be my first choice. I think Wisconsin's, it's interesting with them because they have been so consistent the last, you know, what, 10, 12 games they've won. I mean, they've been really on a roll. They've had momentum and people can say that doesn't matter at late in the season, but I think it really does. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a difference, but I don't think they're going to win. So I'd pick Gonzaga okay. at this point if I had to fill out a bracket, which I don't for another week or two. So yeah, get a little yeah. bit of time. Yeah. Okay. You are going to see the Batman today. I am. Sometime later today with my friend. Batman, as as many people know, is a comic that's been around for a long, long time. Batman has many villains. Which Batman villain is the best Batman villain, Dan? I'm trying to think. I'm thinking back to to when. You can either do the character. You can do it, you know, a specific version of the character. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're really a Cesar Romero Joker kind of guy. Right, right. Sure, sure. That's you, you're welcome I, to it. I just it. love I, the Jack Nicholson Joker. Okay, it just yeah. I don't know the line delivery, everything else. 
it was really awesome to me. I'll be really interested. I think it's Willem Dafoe. Isn't he doing Joker in this, I think? I thought I saw it's, something. It, this with is the Riddler doing... and the Penguin. Oh, it's Riddler. Okay, I thought I, it, there was Joker in this one. Yeah, we'll find out. Mm. We'll be able to talk more intelligently next, next time about it. But I do love Jack Nicholson's, you know, how he let up, how he became the... I, I'm, a, I'm a big Hardy Bane guy. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you really? Yeah, love. Okay. Love Hardy's oh, Bane. Bane. Okay. Yeah. All right. That is a great take on Bane. Okay. I don't like the luchador, oh. you know, vat of like right. weird chemicals version of Bane. <laughs> sure. I think that's ridiculous. I think the Bane that they portrayed in Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises yeah. is a believable villain. Yes, very. I agree. He did an excellent job there. All right. Is that it? That's it. That's my okay. five. All right, so I got a couple of Sigmar questions to start. Knowing what you know, which uh, is everything, uh, Ideneth and Fire I know Slayers. all of it. Okay, yep, absolutely. There's no greater expert than me right now. I, <laughs> in your mind, people I, people often yes. say that. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh man, which what are we going with? We're starting a new army. What are we playing? Competitively. Oh, competitively. There's no question to me. Mm. But what do you think? Competitively. Preface with what I know. I think that. The Fire Slayers book is a more thinking players game. There are more things that you have to get in the right order at the right time, in mm-hmm. the right place, that kind of stuff. Deepkin is more, I don't want to say fire and forget. That's not accurate. But Namardi are good. Namardi are competitive. Marty party forever. Mm-hmm. Namardi party till I die. Deepkin. All right. Awesome. Given what we talked about with Beasts of Chaos mm-hmm. last time, Ideneth or Beasts of Chaos... Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Which do you think is going to be more... uh... So so I think the competitive build out of Deepkin is going to serve as a good counterfactual to what Beast of Chaos does. Okay. Where you're going to have a lot of units as well. Mm -hmm. They also do a fair bit of damage. The trick is going to be, for both of them, is what do you do in Battle Round 3? If you can get the bull to come across the top of the Deepkin units to force them into a fight last position, you're going to win. If you're Mm -hmm. unable to do that the Deepkin player is probably going to be able to throw out more damage a little more reliably than you. Do they still have the rule where they fight first? Do they still Turn have three? That? Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. The bull would... Because the bull is a more recently applied rule. Right. So whatever rule is more recently applied is... The one that applies. Yes. So, okay, so you could take away that first strike mm-hmm. ability. All right, cool. So now we're going to talk about weather, sort of. Okay. Would you rather go to a tournament in Wausau in January? For those who don't know where Wausau is, it's in central Wisconsin. I effectively and have it gets been, sure. very cold there. Or would you rather go to a tournament in Dallas in August where it's over 100 degrees after midnight? I've been there when it was like 105 at midnight. So Yeah, so no. <laughs> So which would you prefer? This is an easy one. I'll go somewhere cold in the wintertime than somewhere hot in the summertime. Okay. Now there's the added component of it becomes more difficult to travel logistically to the cold place because snow usually inclement weather. But I melt at about 80 degrees. Okay. So no thank you. I'm good. Okay. I have one sports question. Okay. The SEC. Mm -hmm. All right. Dan knows something. It's really tight. So Tennessee, more, Kentucky, more than it usually is, and yeah. Arkansas. You're either fourteen and four, I think, or thirteen and five. Arkansas is right now. Who do you think of those three teams is going to go the farthest in the tournament? Tennessee, Kentucky, or Arkansas? Who's going to go the farthest? Oh, Tennessee. I, Tennessee's built for it. Okay, they're built for tournament play. Yeah, 
they're built for it. They have good guard play. Their shooting's very reliable. Size isn't a huge detriment to them, and they play fast. Okay. The thing that's going to make it very difficult for Tennessee is a fight-it-out, slow-down team, but that usually proves to be difficult for most teams now in the modern college basketball game. The real drag them out to deep water and, you know, 40-point slugfest is Mm -hmm. just not how most teams play right now because so many of these teams have such super talented players that trying to stop everybody is is a fool's errand. Okay. All right, this last one is related to the Blessed Day, otherwise known as St. Patrick's Day, which is less than two weeks away. Mm -hmm. And you have a choice of two alcoholic beverages. Okay. You can either have a car bomb or a black and tan. Mm-hmm. Which are you going to take? Just for listeners who don't know, probably most of you do, the Black and Tan basically has an IPA type of a drink on the bottom. And if poured properly, you put a stout like a Guinness on top and you get that beautiful color difference. Uh, The Car Bomb is basically you take a glass of Guinness, you take a shot of Bailey's, you drop it into the Guinness and you take the whole thing down. Which would you prefer? Yeah, usually a Black and Tan Okay, with a harp and a Guinness. I love car bombs, man. All right, that's it. Mm-hmm. Then for my five, off we go to show clothes, my friend. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Listeners, it's show clothes time, and Sunday previews are all about the other game. They're all about 40K, pretty much. Brendan, we're saturated with 40K next week. Mm-hmm. A uh, lot of kill team. If you kill like kill team, team, this is going to be a good week for you. All right. And if you don't like kill team... There's Tau stuff, there's sister stuff, all kinds of 40K stuff, so go for it. Otherwise, the next episode, which will be at our new location. Do we have a name for this new studio? Um, small Town. The Old Person Home small Studio. Town. <laughs> Don't start, man. Do not start. Oh, man. I got your old man right here, the, buddy. The River Walker Studio. <laughs> I got your, got your old man. All right. So episode 93 will be one of two things. It'll be Ideneth or Fire Slayers. Yep. And we're going to decide between now and then. We don't know which one it's going to be. So when you turn this podcast on to listen, then you will know. You'll what... probably know when you read the title of the episode. Yeah, probably then too. But we will decide then because I think there's interest in both books. Both have a lot of interesting components and changes. And from what little I know we've seen it should be Great conversations yeah, coming down with both. And as always, we're going to try to provide some context and instruction. Yeah. Deepkin are no longer the oldest book. Night Haunt inherit that title. Hooray, until whenever. Yeah, yeah until so, a couple weeks from that. Yeah, yeah, I wish. Okay, and that's it. Brendan, thanks as always, my friend. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll, we'll actually, you have a little shorter drive by a few minutes anyway. We'll see. And you did, I think yeah. so. Unknown. Yeah, we'll give it a try. Pretty straight shot. Otherwise, listeners, thanks, as always, for joining us. We really appreciate you listening in. Pass the word if you enjoy the show. And other than that, you guys take care, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is...